Uh, Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 16 for a sermon entitled, What's a Person Like You Doing in a Place Like This? What's a person like you doing in a place like this? I was attending a Baylor Regents meeting in Waco one weekend. I was riding the elevator with Dr. Dwayne Brooks, a pastor of the Tallywood Baptist Church. Dwayne and I were going over to the Student Life Center to work out before dinner. As usual, I was busy talking and hoping that Dwayne was busy listening, but I realized he wasn't listening to anything I was saying. All of a sudden, I could notice that Dwayne was staring at an African-American gentleman that was about six inches from me. And Dwayne quickly said, you're on the elevator, you got just a moment, door opens. Dwayne quickly said, are you who I think you are? Well, there's a side lesson here, babbling fool me will miss the world as it passes by. When Dwayne asked the question, are you who I think you are? I looked over to see James Earl Jones standing right beside me within inches of me on the elevator and I had no idea. But I won't forget his answer, Jones is a name, James Earl Jones. That was Darth Vader right beside me. (laughs) He could have taken me out at any minute. That was Mufasa, the bad lion. It was all right there beside me. That was Alex Haley's Roots voice. That was 51 movies with over a billion and a half cells on the elevator with me. That was a clear and present danger. That was Hunt for Red October. That was A Field of Dreams. That was Return of the Jedi. That was Sandlot. That was Patriot Games. That was, this is CNN. All right there. Now, what are the chances of standing six inches away from Darth Vader on an elevator in Waco? I wanted to ask him, what's a person like you doing in a place like a Waco elevator? Perhaps the real question is not what is a person like you doing in a place like this. Perhaps Dr. Brooks's first question is a real question. Are you, are you who I think you are? Sometimes the question, was a, a person like you doing a place like this has embarrassing implications. It did for Samson in our story today. It did for the man that Pastor Brian Harbour had previously pastored. He he changed the man's name to Bill so it would remain anonymous. Dr. Harbour said he was shocked when he heard that the story that everyone else was shocked as well. A man died. A man of the church died that he had formerly pastored. It wasn't the fact that he died that was shocking because all of us are going to die. It wasn't the way that he died that was shocking. He died from a heart attack, and that's a leading cause of death in our country, a common cause for sure. The shocking thing, not that he died or how he died, but rather where he died. This church member that Dr. Harbour had previously pastored died in what Dr. Harbour calls a triple X theater, a store which featured pornographic literature and videos and even live models, an active member of the church, a married man, a Christian, had a heart attack and had died, an adult theater. As people discuss the event, the question on everybody's mind is, what is a guy like that doing in a place like that? Two questions go hand in hand. 
what's a person like you doing in a place like this? And are you who I think you are? You remember the story from Judges about Samson? Well, he was one of the judges of Israel. He literally was a, a judge for double decades, and he was a miracle child. Manoah and his wife had hoped for a baby for so long. The announcement of his birth of Samson comes from a divine messenger. Israel's in a spiritual decline, and everybody is doing what is right in his own eyes. The announcement of Samson's birth was accompanied by instructions from the angelic messenger that his mother, Manoah's wife, was to have no wine. She was to eat nothing ceremoniously unclean. And her son's hair must never, ever, ever, ever be touched by a razor, never a haircut. This was a sign, a vow that Samson was consecrated or set apart to do the work and the will of God. But as you fast forward, to the end of Samson's life, a life that began with so much promise, a life that began in a divine way by a divine pronouncement, no less, you find a very sad story. See Samson now in our story, he's like an ox. He's pushing the millstone. He's grinding the grain into flour. Well, look at Judges 16, 21. Then the Philistines seized him. And gouged out his eyes. And they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the prison. You see Samson, our story, pushing the grinder like an ox, moving the millstone. You want to say, Samson, what is a guy like you doing in a place like this? Fast forward even more now in the story. To the final day of his life, the Philistines call Samson forth for entertainment in their theater. They think that Dagon, their deity, is more powerful than Samson, but more importantly than that, they think that Dagon, their deity, is more important than Samson's deity because they have defeated Samson. Thus, his God, Yahweh, can't be all that strong. They know that he's delivered into their hands. They made sport of blind. His eyes are gouged out. Samson, he can't see. Imagine how they make him like a circus bear. They swat him, and they had to bring the midgets out probably and, and have a contest with him. He's like a circus bear being baited, everybody humiliated in the act. He's mocked and provoked. And when Samson is mocked and provoked, his God is mocked and provoked too. Now the building is packed. Is packed with all the citizens of Gaza and probably most of the citizenry of Philistia as well, at least everybody who's anybody. Thousands even gathered on the roof on top so they could get a gander, a good look at their defeated enemy. The, the noise of the praise to Dagon mixes with the guffaws and the contemptuous laughter at Samson's expense. Look at the mighty man of Israel. Look what's happened to him. He's forced to act the role of a clown to the light of the Philistine crowd. You remember that strategic point at the break in the action when Samson asked if he can rest and the servant who's 
has him on the chain, puts one hand on the left pillar and one hand on the right pillar, this holding the central weight point, the apex of structure in the building. Look at verse 26. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. You want to say to Samson, as he's here as a spectacle in front of the, all, of, all of the Philistines, Samson, what is a guy like you, a God, a guy who God gave so much promise, so much blessing, what is a guy like you doing blind in a theater being made a mockery for the enemies of God? You remember the story. He prays, verse 28, God, will you give me strength just one more time? Oh, Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me just this time. Oh, God, that I may once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. He pushes the pillars, the supports of the main theater over, and he dies. And the whole theater comes crumbling down with all the Philistines on the rooftop and in the building. And he killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his life. And even as Samson pulls the building down on himself... You want to shout, Samson, how did it come to this? What's a guy like you doing in a place like this? Life shortened prematurely by his own foolishness. The first question, how did Samson get in this predicament? How in the story does Samson come to his demise? First of all, A, it wasn't his birth. Some people excuse their actions by saying they don't have a chance at the very beginning. They claim they're born into poverty or they're genetically programmed for sin or failure or hardship. They feel like they're born to lose, so they choose to lose, to live their lives that way. They blame it on their birth. It, it was all at the very beginning, but I don't think Samson can say that to you. Samson was set apart by God. Samson was a divine baby. Samson wasn't born to lose. Samson was born to win and to win big for God. He was told by the divine messenger that he would deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In chapter 13 and verse 24 we read, and the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. So he was a, a miracle boy. He was an act of God at the beginning. His birth was a divine proclamation. Samson, Samson could not say that he was born to lose. God chose him to win. B, there's another thing. Others say this, their, their predicament comes in life from the lack of ability. Some brood over an inferiority complex and say their predicament comes because they weren't born with the brains or the brawn of their brothers, that somehow they just don't have the skill set that others do. But Samson couldn't say that, could he? He had incredible strength. He had unbelievable superhuman ability. He was a guy who could rip apart the jaws of a lion with his bare hands. He's the one who could pick up the jawbone of a donkey and slay a thousand, one man against a thousand men, and all he had was a bone for a weapon. Samson couldn't say he didn't have any extra skills or talents. 
Samson couldn't say that he lacked ability. Samson, with God, dedicated to God, obedient to God, had superhuman strength. Here's a third thing. There's a C here. Some people, some people say they have a hardship because, well, God's, God's with her or God's with him, but God's not with me. Samson couldn't say that. Samson couldn't say God is absent. God always cared for Samson. In chapter 13 and verse 25, we, we learned that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir Samson. In chapter 14 and verse 6, we read, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. In chapter 14, verse 19, again, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. Samson couldn't use any of the excuses. He couldn't say that he was born at a disadvantage. He couldn't say that he didn't have the talents or the skills of others. And thirdly, he certainly couldn't say God was with him. God had been with him from the very beginning. A divine pronouncement before he was ever born. Samson had strength that none had ever enjoyed before. Strength that he was supposed to use to serve God and God's people. He had the Spirit of God coming upon him and setting him apart for the holy task of making the way of God known. And when you look at Samson pushing the millstone Grinding the grain like an ox, like a beast. You have to ask, Samson, I know your story. What is a person like you doing in a place like this? When you see Samson mocked like a clown, blind as a bat in the Philistine Civic Center, you have to say, Samson, what are you doing here? There's a second thing I want you to see. Samson was there. Because of his own bad choices. Samson was there because of his own bad choices. Turn back to chapter 14. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and his mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. And then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go and take a wife from the ungodly Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. A, among his bad choices, it started when he decided to marry someone outside of the people of God. He decided to marry a Philistine woman rather than choosing a wife from among his own people. His parents pleaded with him, Samson, Samson, can't you find a girl from amongst the people of God? There are a lot of beautiful Israelites. Can you not find one from our family? Marry if you must, Samson, but do not marry an ungodly woman, his parents were saying. But Samson was headstrong. And Samson refused to listen to his father and his mother. In some odd way, God in this story even uses Samson's bad choices to do God's will. There's a B here. Samson made another bad choice when he was determined to get revenge and anger against his father-in-law or his would-be father-in-law for giving his fiancé's hand in marriage to another. 
chapter 15 and verse 2, and her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely. So I gave her hand in marriage to your companion. Well, the girl is given away to someone else to marry by her father, and Samson is a man of anger, and Samson with his strength is a man of action. I am blameless, he says in verse 3. You remember he takes 300 foxes, and he tied them tail to tail, the torch in the middle, and he sends them, and they burn down the groves and the vineyards and the crops, the fields. His revenge led to more revenge. The Philistines kill his would-be wife and her father. It's a story of conflict, escalation, fueled by anger, pride, and jealousy, and fear. Samson keeps making bad choices in his story. Third, or C, Samson's other poor choice. He had a weakness for beautiful but deceitful women. It doesn't matter how strong you are. When you choose unbridled passion, you are going to fall. You're going to find yourself in circumstances and predicaments in which you thought you'd never be entrapped. It's not the girl from Gaza this time getting him in trouble. It is rather deceitful Delilah. You remember Delilah. She sold Samson's soul for silver. You remember her. Samson, you can trust me. They knew this unhuman strength had to come from somewhere. What is the secret of your strength? She kept asking him after they've been together. They're napping together. Tell me, tell me, what's your source of strength? He says, seven fresh cords. If they're still green, if you tie my hands with seven fresh cords, I'm as weak as any other man. He goes to sleep, and she wraps his wrist in seven fresh cords, and she gives a sign for the Philistines to come in and, and take over him. And he jumps up, and he rips the seven cords, and he kills all the Philistines. And she pouts and says, you fooled me, you fooled me. You didn't tell me the truth. What is it, Samson? And he says, it is, it is new ropes. If you tie my hand with new ropes, not fresh cords, but new ropes, if you tie my hands with new ropes, I'll have no strength. She gives a signal. The Philistines come in. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are in here. And he jumps up, and again, he breaks the ropes, and he slays the Philistines. And she nagged, and she nagged, and she nagged. And finally, he told her the truth. It's my hair. A razor has never touched my head. Now remember, the hair was a sign that God was his strength. I think at this point, Samson thinks he's his own strength. He didn't think it's really the hair. Oh, he, he's heard the story, but by now, there's no one or nothing that can stop him. And I think he thinks he's going to jump up and the hair's not going to make any difference. And so while he sleeps, she sheared him like a sheep, cut off all of his hair, and she shouted, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and he thinks he's going to be able to defeat them. And they subdue him and gouge out his eyes, bind him to the grinder in prison. A moral blindness for Samson. A physical blindness for Samson. A good beginning to this story. Incredible abilities. Superhuman abilities. And even the presence of God in our lives is neutralized by bad choices. It happened to Samson. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. Our life is often little more than the sum total of our choices. 
Robert Louis Stevenson wrote, Everybody, soon or late, sits down to the banquet of consequences. Robert Louis Stevenson. Everybody, soon or late, sits down to the banquet of consequences. Dr. John Claypool said, Life is not a gamble in the deepest sense of the word. It's an investment with a predictable relation between causes and consequences. Life is not a gamble in the deepest sense of the word. It's an investment with predictable relation between causes and consequences. Dr. Pierce Harris was a long-term pastor of the First Methodist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Harris spoke one day in the penitentiary. He was introduced by one of the prison inmates. In his introduction, the inmate said, I want to tell you a story about two boys. They lived in the same neighborhood. They went to the same school. They played together. They went to the same church. And one of the boys decided he was too smart for all the rules, so he rebelled. He rebelled against his parents. He rebelled against the school. He quit going to church. He did whatever he wanted to do instead of what's right. The other boy in the neighborhood, in school, in the church, he continued to go to church and to school and did what was right and treated everybody around him with love. Both of these two boys, now men, stand before you today. The boy who continued down the right path is about to bring our sermon from his great church, the First Methodist Church in Atlanta. And the other boy who decided to go his way is me, the one who introduces my friend. Two boys, same neighborhood. This wasn't riches and poverty, same school, same church, and yet two very diverse destinations. Choices have consequences. What is a person like you doing in a place like this? Wherever you find yourself in is probably because of the choices that you have made. Your place is a result of the consequences of your choices. Some of you here this morning are at that very moment of choice. The choices you make today are literally life-shaping. The choice you make today will alter who you are and where you'll go. Will you choose obedience or disobedience? Will you choose to be faithful or unfaithful? Will you choose the holy or will you choose what is horrid? The history of Satan's success is a history of getting humanity to make bad choices. Getting Eve and Adam to eat the fruit of the tree. Assuring them your choice will have no consequences. It's the same story. He's got one line. Do what you want to do. There'll be no consequences. From that very first satanic cell job to the very last, the message is the same. Go ahead. Make your choice. Walk your way. Not God's way. There are no consequences. But over and over again in story after story of strong man after strong man, we are the sum total of our choices. What's a person like you doing in a place like this? We all stand today at the place of our choices, the place that is plotted out by the choices that we make. 
and choice upon choice until finally the whole structure is too large to change. The edifice is built and the pattern becomes permanent in our lives. We need to choose carefully. We need to seek wise counsel as we make key decisions in our lives. But most of all, we need to choose, unlike Samson, not from a perspective of the short view of pleasure of the moment, but rather from the perspective of the long view of obedience. What's a person like you, Samson, doing in a place like this? And are you who I think you are? Two good questions that go hand in hand. One of my friends who's sitting in the room right now often says, we're all one bad choice away in our lives from disaster. We are all one bad choice in our lives away from disaster, as was Samson. But I want you to hear me say at the end that God is a God of grace and some of you have already made those bad choices and the building's already fallen down upon you, I want you to know that God through Christ is a God of the beginning of again. That God through Christ and what he's done on the cross and through his glorious resurrection, he even takes the death of his son and makes him a glorious body. Maybe you're here today and you like Samson or an odd place and you like the ox or grinding in the, the millstone. Maybe you find yourself at the consequences of the end of the rope of all your sin. God is a God of taking broken pottery and putting it back together. God loves you. And Christ died for you. And even if you find yourself shattered this morning and you say, Samson's story is my story, the difference is you have the death and resurrection of Christ to redeem you, to save you, to put your brokenness back together and allow you to walk again in the grace of God. Let us pray. If you're here this morning and maybe you realize that you're not so far from Samson's story, maybe you'd pray in your own heart as I pray this morning. Pray within yourself if you need to accept Christ as Savior. Dear God, I know I've made bad choices. I know I've sinned. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. God, take the brokenness of my life and put it together again that I can be forgiven, that I can be free from Satan and sin and death. I believe Jesus died for me. And I believe he arose again. Amen.